People of the world, welcome back to Send It Rising. As I've said many times before, you already know what I'm going to say. I don't believe in coincidences. I'm not sure if I ever did when I was younger. Our guest today and I backstage were chatting about random number generators and how you have to build an atrophy uh, as a guest on the show mentioned earlier. Both he and I are business owners. He is in the recruiting space, which is wild. Uh, the talent um, out there is pretty intense. And a lot of these companies, especially in this market, are struggling to find good people. A lot of folks interview well, you know what I mean? And then they're not so great. So it's his job because they if he brings someone who interviews well and then they're a terrible candidate, are they going to go back to him? I don't think so. So he's got to find quality people. How do you do that? And aren't the people that interview the best? some of the worst employees because they're great at interviewing. So they interview more often. What are all the factors that you have to take into account when you're looking for the top talent? We're going to find out the answers to all those questions in today's episode, how to start a recruiting company. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. The one, the only James Mackey. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> Thanks for having, having me. Yes. Good to have you here. So, um, because life is not hard for you and you never suffer, it must have been very easy to start this company, right? Oh yeah, this is very, very easy. The whole thing has just been just just so easy. <laughs> it's kind of like unicorn giggles, like a cakewalk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, for yeah. those of us that actually suffer and feel pain, um, what what would you recommend for for folks starting out a company? Uh, so yeah, I think I think the um, the most important thing when you're you're starting a business is to to really just the, the most important thing is getting revenue in the door um, immediately or as soon as possible. <laughs> so I think, I think uh, a lot of companies, they kind of fall in this trap of like, Oh, you know, what's going to be you know a really cool name or like, I got to make the website look really cool or let me focus on my branding. And what I always say is, you know, branding of course is incredibly important. If you're going to become an industry front runner, you need to have uh, the customer journey. Uh, you know, you have to remove friction from the customer journey and provide great experiences across the board. And part of that is your branding and your positioning, all these types of things. But when you're starting out, uh, that stuff really isn't uh, where your, your head should be at. What it needs to be focused on is how do I get my first paying customer? Unless you're one of those uh, lucky, a few of those lucky individuals that might, you know, be like a, a pre-product, pre-revenue company that gets a big funding round in tech, which you don't see very often, but sometimes you do see that. But for most of us, Right, we we need to generate revenues and cash flows in order to sustain business. So, uh, the first thing is always figuring out what is the the fastest path to uh, generate revenue, and um, really holding yourself accountable to doing that uh, quickly uh, in trying to in trying to just uh, solve that problem. And I, I think the other mistake people make is they're focused on they they focus on problems uh, that haven't really occurred yet. So for instance, they might say, okay, well, if I sell something, then I have to deliver it and I have to figure out, you know, I have to do that. And how am I going to do that? So one of the recommendations I also make is solve one problem at a time, you know, focus on what's immediately in front of you. And and when you're starting out, the, the, the immediate pain point is you don't have revenue. You need cash to survive, right? You need cash flows to survive, solve that problem first and just make sure in the onboarding of whatever contract you have, you give yourself enough time to solve the next problem, which is delivery. Mm. But I think that that's really kind of, and that might just seem like really basic, but I, I think um, quite honestly, I see people miss the mark on that quite a lot when they're starting a business. Love it. I, it's nutritious and delicious. So is it basic? You know what the most basic fundamental of chess is? 
win. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good right? like So that. if you really want to get back to basics, you know, it, it's all basics. It's all, it always is. And right. you mentioned first client. I cannot tell you how many times I have been in front of entrepreneurs that are less financially successful than my six-year-old, then six-year-old daughter. So she would just take candy, no menu, nothing, just candy, plop it out on a table at the park and go candy for sale, no prices, no nothing. So question one, are there people who want candy, right? So are there people who want recruiting? Are there people who want tax solutions? Are there people that want whatever widget you're selling? Of course there are. Are you in front of them? Yes or no? Okay, now you're in front of them. Great. They're going to ask you, like, how much is it? Like, it's not that hard. Um, so she literally is more profitable than probably half the entrepreneurs I end up talking to. Like, they're, they suck, they've got sunken costs. They've got whatever. She's taking, like, old Halloween candy. And she has whatever marking it up, like, 300%. You should see her prices are outrageous. Um, and then a problem that hasn't happened yet. I love that, too. That's so good because our, our fear mind is constantly posing problems that don't currently exist to us mm -hmm. and going, well, what if this happened? And you're like, shut up to your mind. Like you're not, we're not there yet. It's you're irrelevant at this point. So I don't need to listen to you. And so that's absolutely true. And then finally, one at a time, I say that to myself constantly. Like whenever I'm doing something, I start feeling stressed. I just go, I have to take the fork from the dirty, the dirty fork and put it in the dishwasher. That's it. Oh, now a new problem presented itself. Now I have to clean off the counter. Okay, well, I did that. Oh, look, now the, I have to vacuum. Like the next thing easily presents itself um, in that flow. So how beautiful is that? So let's get to the question of the day, how to start a recruiting company specifically, which is different than just generic company. Uh, well, I think I think relationship-based sales are very important, particularly, well, I was going to say potentially more even so for a services company, including, including uh, recruiting companies. So um, you need to, what the way that I did it is I, I developed a strong presence on LinkedIn and I built a following on LinkedIn and that allowed me to, and I was publishing content. So I was able to create an inbound uh, lead program pretty, pretty fast. I wasn't doing uh, any outbound and we actually only now seven years in, we just started doing outbound. Like that's just, you know, we recently hired a VP of marketing and part of that is optimizing obviously like our inbound motions and uh, adding additional channels. But we also now are starting to do some outbound outreach as well. Um, but you know, that was basically what I did. I mean, I, 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 uh, I went on, I used Wix, like a template site. I created built that website in like a day or two. I built the logo myself. It was pretty crappy. Honestly, it wasn't very nice, but it was, it worked, you know, something and got a couple of virtual office spaces with local phone numbers, that type of stuff. And uh, from there, just built out my network network on, on LinkedIn. And um, we got an inbound lead from Grubhub. And they actually turned out to be my first client. Um, and within a month, uh, they be, you know, we at the time, we were a contingent agency. So it was fee-based stuff, right? Like we'd help them hire somebody, they'd pay us a fee. Uh, we don't do that anymore. But uh, that, was, that was the model at the time. And so I was able to generate revenue within the first month of business. We got a 20K fee and used some of that to you know, start investing in the business. And within three months, we had signed an exclusive contract with them for their uh, B2B sales hiring across North America. And uh, we made several other hires with them. And then one of their VPs left and went to a company called WeWork, uh, which at the time, nobody had actually really heard of. I got a call from their, uh, basically their chief growth officer uh, saying, hey, I got this, we're working on this company called WeWork. You probably haven't heard of us, but we're going to be huge. Um, and we became, you know, their preferred vendor uh, for revenue staffing across North America. And so it kind of just exploded from there. So really, 
uh, at first it's it's developing some kind of inbound uh, lead capture you know channel ideally uh, leveraging social uh, relationship based sales uh, and that's and, and starting on the contingent side as a recruiting company it's a very low barrier to entry the, the best place probably to get started is contingent that model starts to become more difficult if you want to scale because your revenue isn't recurring so for, for personally I do not like business models where you have recurring expenses, but you don't have recurring revenue. That just that just doesn't seem like a business, uh, you know. That I would I can't I can't even think of a business like that I'd want to be in. So, a couple of years into Secure Vision, we we pivoted and we went to a what's called an RPO model, recruitment process outsourcing, and it's uh, essentially like a subscription in which we essentially like lease teams of recruiters to tech companies. It's kind of what mm. we do, right? So it's it's a different model and it's a, a scalable model, and that's that's what I'm I'm working on scaling right now. So, but to answer your question, it's, I think when you get started, it's, uh, it's relationship-based sales, it's, uh, leveraging LinkedIn, um, stuff like that. You know, the dirty, uh, secret behind capitalism is that you, you're buying time. That's it. I mean, it's, it just, that's what it boils down to. It's like, hi, here are these incredible people that I represent, that I, I own this company. Do you want their time or not? Do you want, would you like to purchase hours of their time? Yes or no? Okay, great. And that's, that's it. It's that simple. Um, so can you find someone who wants to buy those people's time? And then everything else is just structuring, right? You can do a contingent, you can do it based on this recurring model. Web development alone is not a company I would want to run. We do web development. We're great at it, but the, the mm -hmm. revenue does this, right? But internet marketing revenue is stable. So I agree with you on the recurring revenue model. The fact that you got into WeWork so early, hello, you got, I mean, lucky, I don't know where, where, what do they say? Where skill meets luck is success. Something like that. Right. Something like that. Yeah. And then, oh, I love this crappy logo. That's fantastic. <laughs> it was Here. bad. It wasn't like the one I got now. The one I have now, I don't know if you can see the whole thing, but uh, we have a pretty good brand now. Um, we've been able to build it up. But yeah, at first we only rebranded like, I think about a year ago. Yeah. So we went basically five years into business with a logo that I, I don't even know what tool I use. I can't remember at this point, but it was, it's pretty rudimentary. It's wild. It, it would be, I, I would put it to you this way. It would be like um, a doctor going to a doctor um, and him having like mediocre scrubs on, but he's a world-class neurosurgeon. You see what I'm saying? Like it doesn't, like the talent is so much more important than like people get so hung up on the logo, on the brand, on the, and like you said earlier, and, and many times, I would say nine times out of 10, it's unfounded. Um, and then inbound, outbound, you got to help me with this. So when you say inbound, are you saying we did LinkedIn posts, they reached out to us? Yeah, so yeah, exactly. That was, that was basically, that was the primary uh, revenue uh, driver uh, for, for several years. That's beautiful. I know LinkedIn is the home for recruiters. Uh, mm -hmm. There are recruiters all over. There's a whole ecosystem of folks um, on LinkedIn for recruiting, which is super cool. And then when you say outbound, are you referring to things like this, where you're putting yourself out there? Um, no. So, so what so does outbound mean? We started doing uh, email outreach, yep. um, stuff like that, which is a little bit, I guess, not even more of like a sales motion than marketing. But our VP of marketing you know, is doing a lot of several initiatives. So, um, you know, we have some outbound stuff going through there. We also started uh, advertising recently. Uh, Google, LinkedIn, and um, now I don't know the the like tactical specifics of those projects because I'm not uh, I'm not uh, running the those projects hands on. But uh, yeah, we're we're opening up to several other channels. But you know, prior to hiring the VP of marketing, basically you know LinkedIn content, 
uh, was big. Uh, referral word of mouth was uh, generating about 75% of our revenue. Mm-hmm. And then 25% of our revenue was coming from like intent channels. So for us, that was Google and G2. Uh, so, but 100% of our revenue was, you know, referral word of mouth mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, so, something or G2, Google, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that's how it goes. And I, I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs before they get into this sort of thing have to grapple with being a salesperson when they want to be a business owner. And originally, like you said, if you have no revenue, what are you? You're an employee of a company with zero dollars. Like you have to be a a commission only salesperson to launch a business. Am I wrong? Yeah, it's it's having a background in in sales, uh, particularly if you're starting a services company is probably the best background that you can have. If you're starting a product company, then having a product engineering background can be helpful too. But um, you know, I think for for companies similar to ours, uh, right? I mean, having a, a sales or a marketing background is going to be the probably the most important thing. To, and so, I you know, that's when I started my career. I started as a SDR doing cold calls, and you know, it was pretty hard. Um, and that's I, you know, I, yeah, right. So, so I started there, then became an account executive, and then did account management. And so, I really came up on the sales side for recruiting firms. So that that was definitely very helpful, even though I wasn't doing outbound. I was still very much so I was just used to having those types of conversations and I knew how they went and I know what what you know were points of concern when it comes to contract negotiations and these types of things. Um I, I think though, like one thing I would say is like people don't have to worry about if they're not like super extroverted. Like that doesn't mean you can't be good at sales. And like you don't even have to be like a great networker, like a traditional networker or just the life of the party or whatever. I mean, you really just have to understand like you have to know the customer very well. You have to know what their, their pain is, where their pain is, like what opportunities are in front of them. Like as long as you know those things and you can be consultative and explain how you can solve that problem, it really, you know, your, your personality just quite honestly just doesn't matter. I think as much as a lot of people think that like, Oh, could I do sales or do I have the right background? It's, it's, it's just more about how well do you know your customer and how well can you tell the story of, of what, what you can do to solve their, their problem or present an opportunity for them. Yeah, that's right? so true. Cause there's a cliche of, or a stereotype of like the drunken partying. It's usually a dude sales guy. That's <laughs> the stereotype. Right. Right. Um, and uh, there's a little bit of truth to that as I've, you know, moved in sales circles over time, you know, there is that sort of idea. Um, Scott, uh, what's his name? The main character from the office. Remember him? Oh yeah. Michael Scott. Yeah. There it is. Michael Scott. One of my favorite episodes is where, spoiler alert, is where he uh, takes one of his clients where he can't beat them on price and he takes them out to like a Chili's or something. Yeah. And they, they drink a bunch and they're doing all this and they don't mention work at all. Right. Zero. He's hanging out. He's having a good time. And then, you know, there are a few drinks in and, and they're about to say goodbye. And he's like, and then they have this really candid moment where Michael Scott says to him, look, like, I can't on price. I just can't compete with these guys. I can't do it. And the guy's like, you know what? I'll throw you a bone. I'll stick with you. You know, um, relationships, man, it's wild. Um, but that whole idea of getting drunk and like partying and doing all that sort of thing, I've never done that in sales. So I think that's more of like a, maybe it's just not my style. So I'm with you. Yeah. I don't think you have to play into whatever that is. Not to say there's anything wrong with that, but that's not been my style from day one. I like get up, getting in front of rooms of people and, presenting yeah that works for me 
That's good. Yeah, I don't even like that. <laughs> I, I, I like, I mean, what I, I, I just prefer, I love having like the inbound engine where like I just basically have to get, I go on a discovery call and it's, it's, you know, I've worked now, we've worked with over like 150, you know, hyper growth VC backed tech companies primarily. We work with services firms too, uh, but by and large, it's these hyper growth tech companies, right? So it's, we know them very well. I, I already know all the problems that they have before they come to me. So I can, on that call, I can just start solving problems for them. Like mm. I can, and that's what's like cool about it. It's like, you know, whether they decide to move forward with us or not, like they're going to get value from secure vision. Damn it. <laughs> you know, like that's kind of the, yeah. idea. Like, you're like you will be better off <laughs> as a result of talking with us. So we kind of take that approach and, and just look at it as a kind of almost like an advisory call. We're going to tell you about how we can solve the problem, but we're also going to ask some questions to uncover some areas that, you, know, you can immediately kind of focus in on to get better results. Um, and I really love that because it's, it's, we're in a pretty cool place where I really don't even have to, I mean, I don't really, have, I don't really have to do like sales, uh, so to speak. Like I don't really have to be persuasive. It's, it's more so just, I guess storytelling is persuasion in a sense. So I guess there's that element. Like I am telling a story about like what we do and how we can help, but it's really more so just about solution crafting saying, this is how we go about doing it. Here's the data. Here's our references. Here are the logos we've worked with. You know, if you if you want to work together, great. And it's kind of just we'll send you the proposal, and and then it's really you know we kind of we just leave it up to the to the client. Um, you know, we might send a couple follow ups or something like that, but it, there's no like follow up where it's like we're trying to sell or like even really add more value after that point. It's more of just like, hey, are we going to do this thing? Like, what do you want to do, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's just a, it's it's much it's I love that type of engagement. What I don't like is at the beginning of my career when I was doing outbound cold calls, mm -hmm. like that kind of interruption marketing outbound stuff. Um, not a huge fan of of that. More so just building online presence, building uh, the brand of your organization, mm -hmm. growing through referral word of mouth, and just being mm -hmm. that consultant um, that can come in and or, you know advise essentially is is uh, a business kind of model revenue model that I prefer greatly. And oh, I think, I think every yeah. company should strive for that kind of model as much as possible. Right. Yep. Warm leads, warm leads, warm leads. And I, from my perspective, from a marketing um, dude, my competition went from the local area to the world in, <laughs> in the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, because you can find a marketing agency anywhere in any country um, the fact that they're in Vegas or not, I happen to live in Las Vegas. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference. Um, and so warm referrals are everything, uh, because yeah. so many people have been burned by marketing agencies in the past and they're looking for someone that they can trust. And so Google reviews, warm referrals, big, big deal. Um, mm -hmm. you cold calling. I want to dive into that a little bit. Um, <laughs> so what's, who did you cold call for? Oh God. It was, it was like, it was like K force and I was like 21 Oh, yeah. And I was cold calling into CFOs and I, 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 there was like nothing I could do to add value to them. It was so awful because I was like one of like 10,000 staffing companies hitting them up every day yep. and just basically trying to convince them why, you know, they should trust me. Right. I mean, come on. So I obviously <laughs> like leverage, like K force, like the brand and all this stuff. And, but you know, it's like those big staffing companies, it's probably similar in, in marketing agencies, but like, there's just, yeah, there's such a discrepancy when it comes to quality and everybody's been burned and everybody just yeah. kind of is like pissed off at like your <laughs> industry. So it's, it's, it's like, okay, so I'm this kid that, you know, quite honestly doesn't know Jack about their business and I'm trying to like 
you know, tell them how to, how, you know, why they should, they should work with me. So it was hard. I mean, it was, uh, the first six months were, were a grind. Um, but you know, you get better at it. Right. And, and it was really at that point, it was just, uh, how hard can I work? And, you know, I just got to put up a, a ridiculous amount of volume. Uh, and then also you know, the other part of this challenge for me is I was actually you know, more of an introvert. So, so getting on the, you know, getting on the phone and cold calling people was, uh, it was a, it was definitely a learning curve, and it, I think it literally rewired my brain. Honestly, oh, it one hundred percent did. It changed me like, fundamentally as a human. Doing that for, I was at K Force for a year and a half total. So, oh yeah, Th that PTSD <laughs> is going to stick with you. <laughs> I think it, I think it's a positive thing. Like I, you know, it just helps me. Like, okay, how do I just jump into this conversation? How do I figure out? you know, what people care about, how can I engage? How can I persuade, you know, it was all valuable skill sets, but yeah, it's a, it, you know, it's not a job that I would, I would want to necessarily do again. I'm, I, again, I think it's, it was a really good foundation for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I was definitely happy to stop doing that. I'm right there with teaching. Same thing. I, when I started my teaching career, I was like, Whoa, uh, first time I ever taught, they didn't give me a curriculum. They're like, you, you develop it. I'm like, Oh, that makes <laughs> right. sense. First, first year teacher, just no curriculum. That's, that's probably smart. Um, so it was just absolutely wild. And I, the number of times that I would like go just completely flush and sweat with like nerves was probably, it was probably like three, three to five times a day. I mean, I, or like you're like wrapping up a lesson and there's five minutes and you don't know what to do. Seasoned teachers don't have this problem right? Because they've seen it all. They have all these things in there. They have t tons of tools in their tool bag. Like they're ready, they're prepped, they're, they're good. New teachers wash out so fast because it is so much harder than it looks to be a really right. good teacher. I'm sure. Um, what were you teaching? Spanish and ESL. What, uh, what uh, age? Oh, I started fourth, fifth, sixth grade and then high school and then first, second, third, something like that. Okay. Well, I, I taught adults. I actually taught everybody. Nice. How long did yeah. you do that for? Four years. Nice. That's a, that's a, so you stuck with it. Yeah, really I did. did. And I would have, I would have kept doing it if uh, there wasn't a hiring freeze in Nevada. Um, oh, I wow. ended up, that's how I got into this. Cause I was blogging, I was writing uh, lesson plans online um, and it was going well. And that was enough for me to get some job as a blogger at some little startup marketing agency. Nice. And, uh, the rest is history. Yeah. Good stuff. Good. Yeah. I, and I, uh, so I did some coaching. I used to coach, uh, Muay Thai and boxing and, oh, let's and go. Stuff. yeah, it was fun. I loved it. I started, so I was teaching like, uh, martial art classes, uh, for a pretty long time. And that's actually, it was interesting when I was, I was actually working in a boxing gym and one of my students was a VP of sales at K force. So <laughs> then that was how the, I got the opportunity to be an intern at K force uh, was because the the VP was uh, one of my students, and I I told him I was looking for you know to to, to do something in, in sales or you know in B two B, and and so he uh, was able to get get my foot in the door. That's amazing. I've been a martial artist my whole life, and oh, still yeah? do. I still go out Tuesdays with my friend Rich, and we we punch and kick and do some Tai Chi in the park. It's fun. Cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah I used so, to compete in Muay Thai primarily. Like that dude, was. I bet your shins are gnarly with scars. Oh yeah, they're totally jacked up. It's it's definitely a, a, a young person's a very young person's sport. I mean, I was doing when I was like, I, my first fight. I think it was like a week after my seventeenth birthday. Uh, so I did. I competed actively for four years, but I was already by the time I was like 22, 23, I was getting pretty beat up. I had you know some nerve damage and you know, I got deviated septum and all this stuff was starting to happen. So I I just figured it was time to bow out and do something else at that point. 
Yeah. But it was I, a lot of fun. Dude, I met um, in the MMA guy. I, I live in Vegas, so you pop, you know, like every now and then you meet these dudes. And um, nice. man, they just look, they're a different breed, dude. They're just a different yeah. breed. You can tell just looking at this dude's face, like how many times has your nose been broken, bro? Because that thing looks, yeah, you know, funky fresh. And then, um, and then like that, oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. The dude's like a tank. They're just tank humans. Yeah, um, they are really athletic. I mean, that's they don't look anything like normal people. I'll put it to yeah. you that way. Like you look at them for two seconds, you're like, that dude's a fighter. Yeah, and you get just a different breed. Like that dude is not a CPA. He is not doing tactics. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. dude murders people in a, in a <laughs> you know in a ring. Um, so funny and uh, and all of these sort of like uh, McDojos. I'm not sure if you ever like you know went down that path, but like. You take all these actual MMA fighters and put them up against people who are like quasi martial artists, and it's just uh, yeah, it's it's so cringy. You can't watch. They just like they just take them down. It's like you know, like oh my root is so strong. It's like double leg takedown, bam on the ground, like ground and pound for like two seconds. Like, ah, nah. And then so there's that, and then there's also I love Tai Chi, right? And I nice. love like Kung Fu and that whole culture. I, I absolutely adore it, but it's just wild. Like the last. 20 years for fighting has never been anything like this like we we took yeah. all the styles of the world and put them into like the gnarliest octagon ever to see what style actually works what does actual fighting look like and i think that's the closest we've ever come yeah yeah it's uh i really enjoyed it. i used to i trained uh, brazilian jiu-jitsu as well uh in boxing i never was like really formally trained i just started teaching muay thai at a boxing gym so i started hanging out with a bunch of boxers and uh doing some doing some of that as well um but jujitsu is fun too uh yeah. if i ever like started training again i'd probably do that because it's it's competitive but you don't get punched in the face which is nice yeah, you know, yeah it's effective it's still effective I, it's the one part of my fight game that i never i just never had the opportunity to uh or never took the opportunity to study because like yeah. how many fights go to the ground all of them you know what i mean 90 percent of fights end up on the ground at some point if you don't know what you're doing yeah, I still have some of that muscle memory. I did it for like two years. I, I didn't. I was more into Muay Thai because I had an opportunity to go to like a smaller school that was like a really good teacher, yeah. so I could get like really good at it. And I would always say that I was like, well, yeah, but like a lot of fights end up in the ground. He's like, well, so that just means don't get, you, know, you just prevent the takedown. Like that was right. the strategy. Sure. Like, it's not simple. Yeah, 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 easy. yeah, no problem. I'll just prevent. So we the did take a lot down. of like a lot of the work that I did at the Muay Thai school was like, you know, try to okay if you have like somebody with like a wrestling background or whatever background trying to take you down, like how to prevent that and, and how to you know kind of sprawl out, I guess. And yeah, so I spent time doing that. And Muay Thai also has a clinch. So there's still like some grappling aspect, but sure. um, yeah, it was fun, man. It was a, it was a, a ton of, a ton of fun. Yeah. And but then the, I got into the wonderful world of recruiting. Well, and no, I, this, see, this was the point yeah. I'm making, right? So right. like there's a lyric, uh, an incubus song. Um, Every piece contains a map of it all, which is to say that, Recruiting is martial arts, is cooking, is taking a nap, is you know, like literally it seems like we see with our eyes what well, we do see with our eyes, but we perceive with our mind. Everything right. is filtered through the through our own perception, which is to say that like the distance between you as recruiter and you kicking some dude in the shin is just not that different. I mean, they're, they're literally <laughs> right. <there. laughs> yeah, it's actually kind of true. I mean, I think a lot of um, probably my business success is tied to having a martial arts background. You know, I, I was a you know college dropout and most of those years that people were in school, I was in a boxing gym. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just kind of like those kind of formative years of like wiring my brain and how I think about things and like how I think about obstacles and, um, you know, adversity. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I went, when you're doing martial arts, particularly when you're doing something as brutal as Muay Thai, no. you go through a lot of that. Um, and so I think that that just, it's just a little bit of a different wiring than when you go into business and you go through a recession. It's like, okay, I've, I've been through pain, right? Like I know how to handle this. I know like a lot of it's like, how do you stay in the pocket? How do you keep your composure? How do you keep focused? You know, mm-hmm. what's your strategy? Like it's, it's, I mean, it's, you're right. There's a lot of a crossover between, I think just particularly like martial arts and, and business too. I think it's a, it, it can help people develop like a really solid, uh, really foundation. Um, but I, I most, more specifically psychology. I think psychology you can develop with, with martial arts is, um, one of the most solid, thorough, uh, uh, psychologies that you can really develop. Dude, I love it. So, and I will extend that to all disciplines by saying there is, a, this is an anecdote from some dude named Ram Dass, who's a spiritual teacher guy who died not too long ago. I feel like, I've, him, heard, I feel like I've, I feel like I've heard of him. Love me some Ram Dass. Uh, him and yeah. T- Timothy Leary were uh, Harvard professors in the 60s. They were the first yep. dudes to take acid. Um, yeah, he, I know this guy. Uh, yeah. So anyway, mm-hmm. he, he was up you know, he went to India, he found a guru, he did all the song and dance that you're supposed to do to achieve enlightenment. You know, he was all in for years, did all the like starve yourself, aesthetic stuff, like all of it, right? And comes back and delivers this speech. And there's this old lady in the front row, who's just like, she's like, just nodding her head every wild, super far out (laughs) consciousness bending thing he could possibly say from the depths of the, you know, Himalayan mountains, understanding of oneself, She's just was like, uh huh, just nod to everything. And he's like, he went up to her after the fact. He's like, you seem to like understand everything I said. And she's like, she's like, yeah. He's like, how? How did you do it? She goes, I crochet. <laughs> Which is to say, it's it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Maybe it's right. martial arts. Okay. Maybe it's crochet. I don't know. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe it's learning ten right. languages. It's you'll get there. Just yeah, yeah having yeah. life experiences and going through things and figuring out how to do things. You're right. <laughs> At the end of the day, you're going to benefit from that experience. And it's you're gonna, right. I mean, she's a right. master crocheter and she sees the universe, the whole universe, like the yin and yang of the universe in crochet. Yeah. 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 Well, look, man, this has been a, a ton of fun. I'm, I'm really. Yeah. Uh, you got to split. It's 11. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, youtube.com for slash send it rising. Uh, check us out live uh, when we've got guests on the show. want to make sure that James has a chance to let you know where uh, you can find him. Go ahead, James. Yeah, for sure. I, I think the, the best place is just on LinkedIn, James Mackey, Secure Vision. If you just type that into the search bar, you'll be able to find me and feel free to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you. That's James, J-A-M-E-S, last name Mackey, M-A-C-K-E-Y, yes? You got it. All right, thanks for being on the show. All right, see y'all All later. Right.